Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. This is the third episode on my series on California, and we're going to move south of San Francisco all the way down to Los Angeles, looking at Santa Cruz Mountains and the surrounding AVAs, and Central Coast, which includes Paso Robles and Santa Barbara counties. And although these regions are perhaps lesser known than Napa and Sonoma, their history goes back a long way, and um, there's a lot of variation in the styles of wine made in grape varieties. Um, But the one key thing that, that links these AVAs is exposure to the ocean and also mountains which can provide elevation or protection uh, from the from the ocean or actually create valleys which expose the vineyards to the ocean so water influence here is very important as is mountains and this is particularly true of the Santa Cruz Mountains AVA which we'll start with in this episode because that is directly below San Francisco and west of San Jose. So as the name suggests, a mountainous region but one which overlooks um, the vast metropolis of San Jose and Silicon Valley and it is quite eerie almost when you go to Ridge Vineyards which is the most famous winery in Santa Cruz Mountains and it's at the top of the mountain and you overlook Silicon Valley and you can see the headquarters of Google and Apple and other tech giants spread out below um, the mountain. Quite a contrast of the old historic vineyard and the new built-up areas. And San Jose and Silicon Valley are in Santa Clara Valley which is actually an AVA in itself, one that you'd very rarely find on a label. And this used to be um, heavily farmed land, uh, lots of vineyards as well as other fruits and crops being planted, and very similar in appearance to what Napa Valley and Sonoma County uh, looked like, and to a large extent still look like today, but now heavily built up and heavily urbanised. So these regions haven't developed, as Napa and Sonoma have done, wine is not central to them, but still there is some very good wine made in Santa Cruz Mountains. These mountains have ridges which go up to 790 metres above the fog line, which is important to get the full ripening, because although in some regions fog is important to cool the climate down, in other regions you don't actually want that fog because it's not warm enough. To give an idea of the historical importance of Santa Cruz Mountains and the surrounding area, one important figure was Paul Masson, who was from Burgundy, and um, he moved to California at the end of the 19th century and started making wine in the Santa Cruz Mountains and it was extremely successful and he struggled through Prohibition and ended up selling his property um, just after Prohibition uh, to Seagram's but he inspired a local stockbroker to buy property nearby uh, Mount Eden Vineyards as it's now called and that was in the mid-1940s and he was called Martin Ray and through the 50s and 60s he really worked to produce high-quality wine Um, unfortunately enough just at the point where California was really emerging after the dark years of Prohibition and producing quality wine he lost control of his property uh, Mount Eden Vineyards now is still a good producer that he um, had played an important role in establishing. And then also thinking about the Judgment of Paris, which was organised by Stephen Spurrier in 1976, which is an iconic moment in, in California's wine history, a lot of that attention goes towards Napa, because the two wines that technically won the Judgment of Paris were both from Napa, and that really established Napa's reputation. But there were actually uh, three wines from the Santa Cruz Mountains and and the nearby AVA of Chalon. And so there's David Bruce, and that was for Chardonnay, which is in Santa Cruz Mountains. And then there's also the Chalon Chardonnay, which is uh, just a little bit further south. And then there was also, of course, a ridge there, Montebello. 
And Ridge um, is an extremely important winery. It's established in the early 60s by a group of Stanford students who uh, bought a property on Montebello with vine, Cabernet vines planted there since the 1940s. And not really knowing what they were doing, they made wine and didn't really intervene, just made the wine and that was it. And then they decided to be uh, more commercial because they thought the wine was pretty good. And they hired Paul Draper, a self-taught winemaker who had learned his trade in Chile a couple of years there and again really believed in doing as little as possible. It's a very traditional non-interventionist winemaking and Ridge have always been very good in their labelling. On the back label they describe exactly what they do and what they might add to the wine, how much sulphur, which is usually very little. And so it's very transparent winemaking as well. Uh, the use of American oak, again quite traditional, even for their high-end Montebello wine. And they make um, a whole range of wines. And of course, they're also based in Sonoma County, the uh, the Lytton Springs uh, location, where they focus more on old vines, Zinfandel, and other old vines which are planted there. And But they've always been focused on uh, maintaining California's heritage, and so working with old vines from across the state, as well as uh, crafting their own, uh, own tradition and their own style. From Montebello in Santa Cruz Mountains, AVA, they make high-quality Chardonnay, um, Cabernet, Estate Cabernet Sauvignon, as well as the Montebello, and then sometimes they bottle single varietal uh, wines from, for example, Petit Verdot or Merlot, in exceptional years from the Montebello Estate. Another producer in Santa Cruz Mountains AVA which has been very influential is Bonnie Doon, which was formed by um, Randall Graham. He recently sold Bonnie Doon and is embarking on his own eccentric project where he's planting great varieties from their seeds. He's not planting um, cuttings he's got from a nursery, he's planting the actual seeds of some pretty unusual grape varieties as well, uh, just the other side of Monterey. But he's very influential because he was part of the Roan Rangers movement which began in the 1980s. California's climate is quite well suited to Rhone varieties because it does have a Mediterranean climate, but the trend has always been for Burgundy and Bordeaux varieties, which have been very successful. But Bonnie Doon and other like-minded producers have always focused on Rhone varieties because they believe they're ideal for California's climate, something which I happen to agree with. Not many producers in Santa Cruz Mountains AVA, but the ones that are there are extremely good and extremely important and a rich part of California's heritage and the way it's developed in the last 50 to 60 years. Just the other side of San Jose is um, Livermore Valley. And again, this is an AVA which goes back to the 19th century, though lesser known nowadays. And in fact, it was well known for its Sauvignon Blanc. Cuttings were taken from Chateau du Chem in Bordeaux and planted in 1869, so give you an idea of the quality and the history. And Livermore is also historically very important because this is where the Wente Winery is based, which is still family-owned and is one of the oldest family-owned wineries in California. And in 1912, C.H. Wente brought in Chardonnay directly from Burgundy, and there was little to no Chardonnay planted at that time, and he felt um, it could work in California, so he brought the cuttings from Burgundy and planted them in Livermore Valley. And now, 80% of all the Chardonnay planted in California descends from the clone that he developed in Livermore Valley. So extremely important, considering that Chardonnay is the most planted grape variety in California, with around 40,000 hectares, 80% of it all descended from the cutting that he brought in from Burgundy. And just north of Livermore Valley is Contra Costa County, uh, which actually goes into Oakland. 
And then this again is another old source of fruit. There's some old vineyards here going back a hundred years or more and which are still planted and still lovingly cared for. For instance, the Evangelo vineyard, which is owned by Bedrock, has lots of old vine, Mulverdra and Zinfandel, for instance. But these vines are always under threat because it's a heavily urbanised area which is always expanding. So in these areas you've got this contrast between the rural and the urban, and the urban often winning. Moving further south, uh, south of Santa Cruz mountains and south of San Jose is Monterey and this is um, a massive AVA because of um, expansion in the 1970s and probably over expansion to the point that there were nearly 30,000 hectares of plantings in Monterey and this was driven by um, UC Davis because UC Davis created uh, the system called degree days where they would divide California up into um, different zones according to how much sunshine each uh, zone received and they thought Monterey was the perfect place for plantings because of the degree days and Monterey received was just right in the middle and perfect. However, they didn't factor in the fact that air blows up Salinas Valley from Monterey Bay and this can really cool conditions down to the, to the extent that getting ripe is hard and also on hot days the, the air is really clammy and can blow in and tear off vine shoots. It's actually quite difficult growing conditions here. So it can actually be quite tricky here. So plantings now are down to about 16,000 hectares and it never really took off as UC Davis expected it to and some of the wines being made there weren't of the highest quality the Cabernet Sauvignon is quite green and herbaceous as the Monterey's reputation suffered and now much of the production is uh, sold in bulk but very unusual conditions very dry but cool and vines here bud two weeks earlier than the rest of California but they're picked two weeks later so a very unusual area just southwest of Monterey AVA is Santa Lucia Highlands, and here the key word is Highlands, because they are above the valley floor, looking down on the Monterey AVA. And it's again, it's quite windy here, but that does uh, give some good air circulation, and the soils are granitic and well-drained. But the cool conditions here do mean that the acidity can be quite high, so some of the wines may be made into sparkling wine rather than still wine. And then just south of Santa Lucia is Arroyo Seco, which also has a long growing season, low temperatures, but the western section is sheltered from the wind, which is very useful in this area. And Riesling and Gewürztraminer uh, work well here. Just east of Monterey are two tiny AVAs, Shalone and Mount Harlan. And Shalone is named after the Shalone vineyard within the AVA, which is now owned by Diageo. And it's on limestone soils uh, with a 600 meter limestone hilltop. So again, overlooking the the Salinas Valley which goes through Monterey so not quite as windy and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are the two great varieties which the Shalone Vineyard always specialised in and then just north of Shalone is Mount Harlan Mount Harlan is famous for the Calera winery which was established by Joss Jensen as solely for Pinot Noir and the soils are ideal although the rainfall is low and Calera has always made single vineyard wines uh, it's really highlighting the terroir of Mount, ha Mount Harlan through Pinot Noir and that is now owned by Duckhorn. So those AVAs are south of San Francisco and San Jose, intermingled with the urban development. Quite a bit of history and then recent development as well. Hard to um, expand because of the urban development, but still some good wines made here with some very localised growing conditions according to the ocean and the mountains. So moving further southwards into Central Coast. If you just glance at a map, you might think that Santa Cruz Mountains and Monterey are in Central Coast, that Central Coast lies directly between San Francisco and Los Angeles. 
But in actual fact, it begins south of Monterey, so it begins with Paso Robles. It's about 160 kilometres long. The San Andreas Fault runs through the eastern part of Central Coast. Rainfall is low, it's basically a desert here, and irrigation is usually necessary. But the climates do vary according to the exposure to the ocean. So Paso Robles is quite different from Santa Barbara County, for instance, even though they aren't that far apart, and that's all because of the ocean. So Paso Robles is a pretty big AVA south of Monterey. Uh, so because it's big, there's lots of variation. Uh, it's pretty warm and it can get very hot in Paso Robles. Quite different from Monterey to the north, which is cooled by the uh, Salinas Valley, and very, very different from Santa Barbara and Santa Maria Valley to the south. We can divide Paso Robles into two, east of Highway 101, which runs through the centre of Paso Robles, and west of Highway, Highway 101. So the east is hot, there are a few breezes here. The soils are deep and fertile, and it produces fruity wines. The major producer here is J. Law, which, who is really, really big, set, set up in the 1970s, produces about a million cases a year. And in fact, J. Law have two locations, one in Paso Robles and one in Monterey. Uh, the reds are made in Paso Robles, the whites in Monterey. Pretty big producer. The west side is a bit more interesting. It's woodier and hillier, with more exposure to the ocean. So although Paso Robles, particularly on this west side, is very close to the ocean, there are hills which... Um, very quickly block that ocean influence, which is why it's so warm here. Here, about 15 kilometres from the ocean, there is some exposure, there are some breezes coming in, so that does cool it down a little bit and makes the wines a bit more interesting. By the time you get to the east side of Paso Robles, that influence is gone. Paso Robles used to be famous for its dry-farmed Zinfandel, but that really changed in the 1990s when Tablas Creek was established, and other producers were planting Rhone varieties as well, but Tablas Creek were the most prominent. And this is a partnership between importer Robert Haas and Chateau de Beaucastel from Chateauneuf-de-Pape in France, and they'd been seeking for years a site similar to Chateauneuf-de-Pape somewhere in the United States, and they eventually found this site in Paso Robles on the west side, not far from the ocean, with similar limestone soils, and they bought the property in 1989, and then brought in cuttings from their Chateauneuf-de-Pape property, and uh, put them through quarantine, and then planted them in Tablas Creek, that, that property in Paso Robles, and the first vintage was 1997. And they've been extremely influential in promoting Rhone varieties in Paso Robles and also across California. Although these varieties have been planted previously, a lot of the cuttings now used for Mauvedra and other Rhone varieties, and also Vermentino as well, have uh, come directly from the Tablas Creek Nursery. So extremely important producer and extremely high quality as well. So Paso Robles is quite exciting, becoming more of a tourist destination. A lot of these wineries have tasting rooms which people will visit. And Tablas Creek is also exciting for its white roan. I actually think the white roan at Tablas Creek can be better than the, the white roan itself from France. It just has a really nice balance of acidity and fruitiness. So from great varieties such as Grenache Blanc, Roussan, Marsan and Picpoul. Then just south of Paso Robles is Edna Valley AVA. And this is cooler because it is exposed to the Pacific Ocean. And Chardonnay is um, produced here, quite fleshy and fruity and can be quite delicious. A big producer here is Alban, uh, very important. They worked with Syrah and other Rhone varieties, so another producer that has really driven uh, the quality of Rhone-style wines up in California, and those wines are quite exclusive and expensive. Uh, but water is an issue in Edna Valley, that is one thing that can be an issue across all these of these regions. And then just to the southeast, there's Arroyo Grande Valley, which is even cooler than Edna Valley, and Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are planted here. You don't see that too often. So it's amazing this region you have Paso Robles, which is really warm and hot, and then immediately to the south are the cooler Edna Valley and Arroyo Grande Valley. 
AVAs. So it just shows how varied California's climate is. Moving further south is Santa Barbara, and this is the coolest region in California, but it also has low rainfall, so quite a contrast in those climatic conditions. And it's very unusual, not just because it's the coolest region, but because the mountains run east-west rather than north-south, and this is the only coastal range in California where the mountains run east-west rather than north-south. In fact, it's the only coastal range in the entirety of the Pacific, North and South America to do so, so very unusual. And that means that the vineyards are exposed to the ocean much more than any other region in California, and that's why it's so cool and windy and foggy. It is a relatively new region, uh, plantings began in the 1970s, the Sanford and Benefit Vineyard, which is very famous and very high quality, uh, just to the, s the south in Santa Rita Hills, and also um, the formation of Aubon Climat, a very important producer in 1982, who've re who has really helped drive the quality of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in this region and highlight the quality of the area, even though it's relatively young. So Santa Maria Valley is just to the north of the county, this has the longest growing season due to the exposure to the Pacific, fog in the morning and chilly winds in the afternoon. Here, lots of land is owned by farmers rather than wineries, so the names of vineyards are important. For example, Bien Nacido. There is a winery called Bien Nacido, and then there are lots of producers who make wine from this vineyard. It's pretty big. Aubon Climat would be one example of that. And the focus is on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but also Syrah as well can be very good here. Uh, plantings are up to 180 metres, and the result are, is wines, and I think you notice this most in the Pinot Noir, which have high acidity, higher than anywhere else in California, arguably, but are quite fruity. And just to the south of Santa Maria Valley is Los Alamos, which is not actually an AVA, but it's uh, a region which is quite popular and quite exciting. More producers are working with fruit from Los Alamos, maybe it will become its own AVA at some point, and this produces lots of fresh Chardonnay and it's a little bit warmer than Santa Maria Valley. And then going further south again is Santa Ines Valley. And just to give you an idea how far south we are in this region, it's about 100 kilometers north of Los Angeles. That really does emphasize how surprising it is that it is such a cool region. But again, that exposure to the ocean is the reason for that. So Santa Ines Valley has lots of ocean exposure due to that mount those mountain ranges. It does have more rolling hills than Santa Maria, which is quite flat and the vineyards will be on the hills. And this leads to a lot of variation. So within Santa Ines Valley, there are distinct AVAs. And temperatures change as well as you go further inland. So it gets warmer um, as the vineyards go further east. And so the styles of wine change because of that. So Santa Rita Hills, which has to be spelt S-T-A for the Santa because there is a winery in Chile called Santa Rita. So they didn't want to clash with that. So it's S-T-A Rita Hills. And this is the coolest of the AVAs. Lots of hills, which can be quite steep. The soils are sandy, silt and clay. And this AVA, the, the boundaries of the AVA, were created with Pinot Noir in mind. But other great varieties work very well here too. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, and also Syrah, which can be quite peppery. And the Syrah, and also the Grenache as well, uh, will be found on the eastern part of Santa Rita Hill, so where it's a little bit warmer. And Santa Rita Hills is also where you'll find Sanford and Benedict, that vineyard that I mentioned, planted in the early 1970s on a north-facing slope, and which has been extremely influential in the development of uh, Santa Rita Hills and the quality. And again, Aubon Climat are a producer who make wine from this vineyard. Just to the west of Santa Rita Hills, there are um, new plantings, which are also exciting, which have to be labelled Santa Barbara County because it's not in an AVA. 
unofficially called Lompoc Highlands, maybe again in the future. That will be an, an AVA in itself, but this is um, a little bit cooler than Santa Rita Hills even, because it is closer to the ocean. But going back to Santa, Inna, Santa Inez Valley, and to the east, where it's getting a bit warmer, there's Ballard Canyon, which was formed in 2013 as an AVA, and this is dedicated to Rhone varieties. And this is warmer, but it is cool at night, so it's still not an excessively warm climate. Further east again is the um, unusually named Happy Canyon of Santa Barbara, and this again is getting warmer, and this is planted to Bordeaux varieties. So we can see how the going further east of great varieties change because of the different climate. And then the newest AVA is Los Olivos, and that was formed in 2016, and that's dedicated to Rhone and Bordeaux varieties as well as Sauvignon Blanc. So all these AVAs in Santa Barbara are relatively new. It's quite a dynamic region, lots of experimentation, trying to work out what works best, creation of new AVAs to emphasize the different styles of wine. Everything was initially concentrated on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and that really uh, secured the reputation of the re region. But recently, moving towards Rhone varieties as well, and also experimenting with whites, I think Riesling can work pretty well um, in some of these AVAs. Definitely worth uh, looking out for. So that's all the AVAs and wine regions going from San Francisco all the way down to close to Los Angeles. Lots of variation and lots of interesting, exciting wines to discover. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.